gonna do the uh, as Chris loves. Chris loves a good old oh, warm intro. He loves a good old warm intro. Soft intro. Atmosphere. Clinking yes. of glasses. Yes. Yes. Oh, speaking of which, uh, here comes a couple minutes. Yes, Thank you very much. You. Chris, have you got a beer in here? Thank you, sir. Yes, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a frosty milkshake with a little something. Not over my phone. It's waterproof. It's okay. Christopher, how's your Sunday morning? Rough. All the skin on my knuckles are gone after that horrendous game. Yes. Oh, I wish I was at the pub. This is what it is. Uh, welcome, listeners, to episode four of Speaking in Code, a rugby podcast. It is November the 10th, uh, it's a Saturday, and we just watched some momentous games on, on the, the eastern, autumn, uh, on the eastern seaboard of America. Yeah, I just actually, want to introduce listeners to our guest caller, Brian S., who just couldn't wait for the intro to finish. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for having me. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. I do just want to point out to the listeners that there is a discrepancy in date uh, for not, not all of our hosts. It is Saturday. Some of our hosts in the Sunday, actually. That's a, that's a fair point. Uh, Brian Nix is just uh, uh, one of our callers, of course, uh, is, uh, is Chris on the phone. It's is the next day, is the 11th there, but uh, we just had some monumentous uh, games, and uh, we're going to discuss them. Of course, the first up was England versus New Zealand. Oh, big game. Big game. So uh, we watched that game here, here in New York City. Uh, some of us wearing all black gear, some of us not. Some of us trolling the points, some of us not. Uh, and uh, we've all got a lot to say. I'll pass on to Hayden, his first, his first thoughts. So, uh, original hot take. Um, I thought England came out very, very hot, as we expect. It was, a, it was a, an absolutely dour conditions. It was raining hard. Um, uh, I thought England capitalised on the conditions early. Uh, 15 to nil. Early on, I was—I wouldn't say I was nervous. I was slightly apprehensive about what was going to happen next. But um, I mean, I think the key was that we didn't go down. We didn't go into the half with no points. I think that was important because I, like, a psychological barrier of scoring for the half was big. And then, um, yeah, England zero points in the second half, which uh, I think says a lot about. The, the mental state of the All Blacks and also the mental state of England. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I have no fingernails, but I'm very happy. Uh, let's choose Brian S, a native of North Carolina who has watched several rugby games before. Uh, this is probably the biggest game he's seen. Yes. Uh, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, no, I thought this was a really good game. I was super impressed. Um, I think this was a really good showing for New Zealand's best player, which as it normally is, the referee. Um, <laughs> No, I think at the end there, like, clearly England had had a leg up, had a clear try at the end there. Uh, the referee stepped in, did what he was supposed to do, calling off sides in New Zealand's favor, which is good. Like, you know, he had one job to do, which was to ensure that the money-making rugby team came out on top. So I think it was a great, great showing by the referee there, great showing by everybody involved. Uh, really excited that I got to be a part of it uh, here in New York. Uh, Chris, I-, I imagine you have some rebuttals to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll just I'll just put aside I'll just put aside Mr. S's uh, uh, comments here for a moment, and just come and help with uh, with my take on that game. 
listen, I think I think the All Blacks played like a hundred percent rat ass. I think we were woeful. I think that first twenty minutes was diabolical. The amount of tackles we missed. I thought, as a general rule, I thought Bowden Barrett didn't stamp his his stamp his his hand on shit. Uh, I think the difference between him and Farrell today was huge. Who was on oh, Farrell was absolutely immense. But then, by the same token, England like they, they had everything in their favour. They had the rain. They had their house with their eighty-two thousand bag of dicks. The giant collection of dick meat in that stadium, braying and giving them all the G up, and yet for sixty minutes. They did not a thing. This is rugby. This is rugby. This isn't, you know, as I said to you guys before the before the game, this isn't hit the gym, eat protein and kick. You know, this is rugby. You've got to catch it. You've got to pass it. You've got to run with it. And these guys don't know how to do it. They proved it in 60 minutes. That and Hayden's good point, these guys are mentally weak. They're mentally weak, man. Their brain has all the integrity of a bag of soggy rum. And as for the thing at the end, Mr. S with the with the Courtney Law's charge down. I mean, come on, man. He was like two feet. His foot was two feet in front of behind most foot before TJ's hand even touched the ball. Like, I mean, you know, they were offside all game. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. And boy, am I going to just eat up. I'm going to just, with my metaphorical spoon, I'm going to eat up every single ounce of crazy bullshit in the papers tomorrow. Mm, nom, 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 nom. No, I agree with you, Chris. I, I, I think I, I, I think it was a clear offside and and to be to be quite honest, I, I thought they were doing it all night. I know that's a cliche, but there was there was so many offsides at the ruck, there were so many English players up in front of the last foot on the rucks that I, I thought it had to be called sooner or later and it just happened to be called on that particular play. And to be fair, I I credit the referees for making the decision in that tough moment, which they did not make last week. Um, and so I, I feel particularly uh, aggrieved or, or pissed off that this new intel that you just, you just brought to us uh, about Owen Farrell uh, making a point of it in the post-match, which I think is particularly just complete fucking bullshit. Can you, can you talk a bit more about that, Chris? Yeah, so I, I, I'll give you the skinny about what happened. So, you know, pale milk bottle-looking motherfucker, Owen Farrell, walks up to, to, to Goldie for the post-match, the Sky post-match. You know, 15 seconds into it, he's talking about how... Too many, too many, like, stutter steps. Sorry, there's garbage talking here. Look, a lot of garbage talking. Yeah. Um, no, the... Uh, so, you know, he took about 10 seconds to reiterate that you know, oh, you know, controversial decision there, you know, whether rightly or wrong. No, motherfucker, it was rightly. It wasn't, there's was no wrong about it. You guys play with fire, get burned. And the fact that he said it with absolutely no hint of a win, this guy has the EQ of great. It's like, brother, do you not remember last week? Do you not, like, rewind your brain. Like, people wonder why the world hates them. And, you know, we looked at that clip from James Haskell early last week where he, he was baffled, couldn't understand it. And I've, I've had a go around with Haskell on this before, you know, online, similar shit. They just, they don't get it. Things happen. And then, and then it's like, God, come on, man. This is exactly what you hate. You've got a guy there saying with absolutely no hint of irony complaining about a last Jesus Christ. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, 
I think if you want to establish a sore loser um, mantle in your game, there's no better way place to do it than, than in the post-match interview. And, and, and Owen Farrell's done himself an absolute disgrace in this, in this particular moment. So, so we're, we're just watching a uh, superb French try right now over the South Africans. Um, and so this game's gonna this game's gonna evolve as this podcast goes on, which is just quite a new thing for this podcast. Live live scoring, so um, we're uh, a little blur all the way through this. But uh, anyway, Dean, do you want to comment quickly on the uh, the next game that we saw the Wales? Uh, well, I, I haven't given my hot take of the England New Zealand game. Yet. Oh yeah, Dean, do tell me about your hot take. So I'll, I'll, there's a couple of standout points. First of all, SBW again with the no show, a pointless a pointless running, pointless cap for him. Shoulder injury, likely out for the rest of the games. Thank goodness. I would yeah. rather Ryan Crossy had started, uh, and then ALB would have been his sub. Uh, I feel like Ryan Crossy made an impact off the bench, was a, a good ball runner, and uh, always had plenty of energy on the pitch. Uh, Brody Retallick, huge effort. And I feel like with Brody on the pitch, uh, he brings out the best in Whitelock. Because uh, I'm definitely more, um, more pep in both of their steps throughout the night uh, for having that team, oh, that tag team, sorry. Uh, as, it, as it goes to uh, the All Blacks effort, we let the English play their own game. Uh, and their own game is boring and slow uh, and wet, uh, both figuratively and literally. So it was a little bit of our fault for, for letting that happen. Uh, but, you know, we can't be 100% every day or 110%. Sometimes we're going to be 98%. Uh, I'm glad we eked out the win uh, because it's a win at the end of the day and I wouldn't be able to read The Guardian uh, or New Zealand Herald for about a year if we had to be a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty bad reading. No, I mean, they still talk about 2012, so let, let's be thankful that we don't have to itch in 2018 in that, in that mantle. And, and I'm, I'm quite happy with the fact that we go into the World Cup next year without, without a, a loss in the column here because um, I think that would be insufferable. So... Good job for the boys to, to pull it out in the end. Uh, my hot take on Wales Australia. Now, I thought that that game was going to be particularly interesting. I thought it might be a high-scoring game. I thought it might be in the 20s, maybe even 30s. It might be around back and forth. Oh, how wrong I was. <laughs> what a very, very boring game to watch. Even even as a neutral, you just wanted to see some rugby. I put a bet on when it was 60 minutes and it was 3-3, but it would still end up a draw. And I was confident in that money. Uh, I was almost sad that extra penalties and then uh, and then a final score wasn't. Because I feel like a draw was the actual result of that game. That being said, I'm very happy for my Welsh friends. They haven't beaten Australians in 10 years. And uh, I'm glad they managed to finally get that bugbear off their back. No. Australia should be disappointed. Wales should be disappointed. But at the end of the day, it's a win. Chris, did you stay out for that game? Uh, it, it, that's a hard no for me, dog. You know, that game is typically, that fixture is usually some unbelievably perjured shit. And it sounds like it was. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. I mean, like, like Dean said, 3-3 three, three after 60 minutes. And then they traded penalties. And then eventually Wales won. And it was yep. fucking horrendous. Brian, as a neutral, can I bring you in here? Of course. Uh, so, obviously... You know, all the us three regular podcasters are, uh, are neutrals to this Wales Australia game, but you are a true neutral to this because you are a rugby neutral. You're a sport neutral. Yep. If you will. Yep. 
how did you feel about Wales Australia? What would you feel about that game? What were your feelings? Well, first of all, I was surprised um, when I started. I assumed when I heard that Wales were playing Australia, that Wales were a mascot, like a lion or a tiger. Um, and there was a country whose mascot was the whales, uh, like Iceland or, I don't know, Hawaii. But uh, once I found out that it was actually a country like off the side of England, um, I found this game kind of shit. No, like I think it was, it was, uh, I think it was a three-three, like one one kick a piece, or two kick. I don't know how it actually ended. I, I really don't understand like how it ended. But nobody scored a touchdown uh, or a try, as you call it. Um, and especially coming up the back of of the New Zealand England England game, where which was actually like a lot more up and down, uh, a lot more high paced. I just felt like. Even to like an untrained eye, it was just a lot sloppier. I felt like it was a lot more drop passes or drop knock-ons, I guess. Um, just, it just didn't flow as well. Um, so I can't really comment on, obviously, the, the intricacies of the game. But this is definitely one, like, even from an untrained eye, you can see this didn't flow well. Either the teams were less skilled or they weren't in a rhythm or they just weren't clicking that day or whatever the, the impact of the elements were. Um, it was just kind of a shit game. Like I wasn't, I wasn't super entertained by it. I was much more entertained by the Ireland game, much more entertained by the New Zealand game. I think even this French game that's going on right now is, is overall like much more entertaining than what I saw. Yes, I mean we're. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice segue actually, Brian, into the um, the Ireland Argentina game, which uh, Dino, I don't know if you want to set the stage for that. Um, so the stage is of course the Viva Stadium, uh, Dublin. And uh, Ireland are hosting Argentina. The Pumas have done really well this season. Getting a scout both Australia and South Africa. And they came in strong, as they have in the last in the uh, rugby championship. They uh, started strong as they have done, and uh, their game plan was obviously to put as many points on the board before they eventually capitulated. Now, I'm of the theory that it's not necessarily their physical fitness, but their emotional fitness or their emotional strength is their downfall. They're a very passionate side team and when they run out of emotion in the 50th or 60th minute they seem to chuck the baby out with the bathwater. Hot take. So one of the things we were discussing here at the bar uh, in between games for a very brief period because it was back to back it was super sports out there was uh, Brian S had a theory on whether America could take over the sport. <laughs> now Brian S has lots of theories uh, he's a very opinionated man sometimes for good reason other times not so much but this, uh, this particular point uh, has a slight validity to it, uh, only because he has some dubious maths behind it. So I'll let, I'll let Brian S take over some of the framework uh, for what he believes will be the takeover of rugby by America. So I, think, I actually think I'm going to have a, an ally here in, in Chris. Um, and here's like the basic uh, of this idea. Um, so if... America, not even all America, if there were only a few states in America that were to abandon American football and pick up rugby as their absolute number one sport, four states, America could win the 2029 Rugby World Cup. And those four states specifically would be Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Hawaii. Right? So why those Why those four states? We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But let me actually like talk about this in uh, a bit broader terms before we get into the specifics. So between those four states, the population is roughly 15 million people, right? So the population of New Zealand is like, give or take 5 million, plus or minus a million on any 
good or bad take, right? Like, like, and that's not counting all of the all of the the Samoans and the Fijians that that the New Zealanders steal for their team. Um, Correct. Uh, so okay, so we're starting with a base of about 15 million people. So from an actual like investment in sports standpoint, on a per capita basis, the U.S. spends a ton on sports. We know this, probably more than any other um, country in the world. The other big factor here is like what what sporting venture exists inside of Oregon? That's right, Nike, the biggest sports apparel and equipment company in the world. Right, exists right here in the heart of Oregon. So just. Say with you for a second that let's say that every every young boy who is now 10 years old, instead of playing American football, picks up a rugby ball and starts playing rugby at the age 10 starting right now. I don't think there is anybody in the world, if given all the resources, given all of these 10-year-olds, that in 10 years from now could not have us could have a side that could actually be. That side, just from those four people, just from those four states, just from Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and, and Hawaii. Um, go ahead. I think you've got some, uh, some hurdles to come overcome. So we'll start off by saying in order to have those four states in particular change their entire societal model around the sports they already do, yep. to a sport they're not familiar with and have not participated in the plan, would be some communist China-level shift. Of course, for that. Yeah. Of course. I, I don't want to imply that I think this is possible or will happen. I'm saying if it would happen, if we somehow were to take this out as our first sport, that this team would be the best in the world. However, I don't think this would happen. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible in reality. I think the biggest hurdle is the fact that we don't have any coaches. Even if we had every 10-year-old in America to start playing rugby, there's maybe, what, like a thousand people in America that understand how to coach rugby? There's just not enough coaches to coach all these kids. Like, I'm fully aware of, of that, which is the biggest hurdle. Um, even if even if you got everybody to stop playing football and play rugby, we just don't have the coaches to actually coach all these teams. However, this is where Nike comes in. If Nike, assisted by Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates, were to hire 5,000 Kiwi youth coaches, to just flood Oregon and Washington and Hawaii. These motherfuckers are so No drunk. doubt, 10 years, <laughs> no doubt, 10 years, World Cup, write it down. 12 years, because there's not enough senior can, we, can, we, can we just interject quickly here to say that uh, America is currently ranked number 15 in the world rankings. Yeah, 15. Uh, they they behind, just beat Samoa. I mean, in Samoa. sure, I sure, uh, went over Samoa, but, but we, have, um, we, have, we have Fiji, Romania, Georgia, uh, Tonga, I believe. So top 10 is, is absolutely within America's grasp. And I think if the, um, the brightest memorial trophy, uh, if that was to be enacted on the Pacific Northwest, I, I, <laughs> I don't mind memorial, you're not, you're not dead yet, but uh, the brightest honorary trophy. I think just Hawaii, <laughs> Hawaii alone would be top five. Hawaii, if, if, population if Hawaii. a million and a half, if Hawaii right now stopped playing American football and only played rugby in eight years, top five finish, semifinals. All right, here's something well, they, they, I don't think America down. has the a mental capacity or mental fortitude to win at a tournament. And I'm using statistics on that. Which last team, apart from the Olympics, did an American team beat the rest of the world at anything? 
how about the world championship of basketball? Apart from the Olympics. The world championship. The world cup of basketball. Uh, it's not a real thing. It doesn't count. Next thing. World baseball classic. No, world also baseball is not a thing. <laughs> the world series is in America. No, the world baseball classic. Let's see you in Japan. Just shitting on Cuba. Shitting on Cuba. Mexico, Canada, Korea. All of those are still just for the American Baseball Society. The World Cup of Hockey. Again, that's just. Also, you in Canada. Me, us, Canada, Sweden. Us, Canada, Sweden, and Russia. So here it is. It's just you playing the sports. How many sports do I need to name? How many team sports do I need to name? Anything outside the Olympics. What other non-Olympic sport have you ever played and beaten the rest of the world at? A team sport that's not in the Olympics. Correct. There's literally, like, none that exists. Name a team sport that's not in the Olympics. It's not American football. It's not American football? Uh, it was rugby till recently. But rugby baseball, the Olympics. Baseball, 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 baseball. Is it? Yeah, but the World Baseball Classic doesn't count, apparently. Yeah. And rugby's in the Olympics, so, so rugby don't count. Curling won the fucking gold medal in curling. No, we just won that last time around. No, I, wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. Yes, curling. U.S. won the gold medal in curling last time around. Ireland and curling? Yes. But they don't have it in the Olympics. Not curling. 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 This is different. It's a team sport. It's not hurling. Oh, it's it's hurling. The yeah. national sport of Ireland. <laughs> You're I didn't make the rules. You just sat down. <laughs> Correct. We did not win the national sport of Ireland. Correct. <laughs> no, second national sport. Also, we did not win it like that's the real cricket. stuff I'm making. We did not win Chris, it cricket. Chris, I'm not sure if you can hear any of this or if you're uh, willing to contribute, but... Um, yeah, Brian, I, I, I'm... I'm hearing, I'm hearing all of this. You, 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 are, you boys are just some drunk pandas. There's some rampant disrespect to the sport of baseball going on from you clowns. But you know what? I tend to agree with Brian. I'll chip in with one statistic. The media market in Hawaii alone is bigger than both Wales and Scotland. That alone gives you a feel for the scale of the opportunity to exist like the United States. And it wouldn't take much. They are going to be helping people good. 20 years, So, France update. Uh, half time uh, in, in France for South Africa. We got 16 9. Um, that should be a pulsating second half. Um, How bad do we think Steve Hansen is going to follow the boys tomorrow? Hayden, go. Um, I. I, I think he's gonna uh, he's gonna give the, the credit because you know if you're 15 nil down you come back to win 16 15 that is again a a show of fortitude it's a show of of, uh, of balls because at Twickenham you're 15 nil down you don't panic and you come back that's great but also don't put yourself in the position where you're 15 nil down because in a World Cup that's gonna be tough to that's gonna be tough to come back from. It's not going to happen every day. So, and that's that. That has now happened against England, and it's also happened against South Africa. In South Africa, where we came back against all odds to win the game, we can't keep doing this. We have to go in with leads, and we have to hold those leads. And that's a much better way to play the game. So, I think that's why Hanson will stress. Like you know, we conceded after two minutes today. You can't concede after two minutes and expect that. That this is going to work out every time because it's not. So let's not put ourselves in that position. That's what Steve's going to say. 
Yeah, yeah, but that's that's how the Northern Hemisphere do it. The fuck away. I think he's gonna absolutely bollock all fuck the boys. Bollock them all. And here's why. When we were watching the game today, the fuck Sunny and his mother. Uh, congratulating the UK team, the English team. Sorry, tackling well. Underhill, uh, a six foot two, two hundred pound uh, monster, tackled Dmac, and they showed it no less than three separate times throughout the entire game. They kept saying bad to him. He's like, "This is how you do a tackle." The man's five nine. Yeah. It's like tackling a small child. Like, come on. Yeah. You should be able to tackle him and tackle him well when he receives the ball. And it wasn't a very good tackle either. It also wasn't a good tackle. <laughs> so I should start by saying, uh, I do not think they will get congratulated. I think they will say, guys, we went in there with a game plan. You did not execute it. You pulled it back because at halftime we, we broke it down for you and explained it in, in simpler terms. But you did not uh, You did not do the job. You did not do it as well as we liked. We got a W. But all this next week, we are going to be riding. Because I think going into it, everyone was talking about different strategies, but they're taking a, a rest-in approach, uh, tapering, if you will, because they want everyone to be rested. And this time, going into the Ireland game, it's going to be much more energetic, a lot more like, guys, this is the last big game of the season. Don't fuck it up. Full energy, full heart. Well, I, I, I think with... Um... Brian, Brian, what would an American coach say in this perspective if you if they were to come in half time or at the end of this game? If an American coach was talking to the New yeah. Zealand team after the game. New Zealand team. Yeah. After the game. Yeah. Post game analysis. Is it is it is it Denzel Washington? This coming is absolute in? horseshit. How the fuck do you let these bunch of like English motherfuckers get this close to you? You should be ashamed that you walked into the locker room at halftime down to these bunch of posh rich boys. These motherfuckers, like, have everything absolutely handed them on a silver platter. Right, I'm singing these my song now. Boarding schools. Yeah. These are the boarding schools. That's all <laughs> I have to say. And you're losing to these private school assholes. Chris, talk to me. I, I don't. I don't need to. Brian's Brian's singing my song. He's he's hitting all the right points. You're singing his song, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. That's what an American coach would say. I don't know enough tactics to say anything tactically. Other than like you're, you're losing to a bunch of like private school assholes. Yeah, this is this is the, basically the entire script of any given Sunday. Yeah. Just, I just heard it right there. Yes. So hopefully Hanson does a combination of all three of what we just said. I think that'd be nice. Um, but. With a slightly more strategy involved, a little bit <laughs> yeah, better analysis. I mean, we go in, we go into Ireland next week. Let's just talk about quickly about that game because, from what I saw with Ireland against Argentina, I mean, obviously Ireland are going to get that the, the whole twenty five percent boost they do against the All Blacks that they always do, but I, I just do not see any way that Ireland are going to beat us. And the French have just scored. Sorry, we're just going to live update from the French game. Uh, Bastaro's gone under the post. Nigel's going upstairs. I stand by my comments the other day about the uh, Ireland All Blacks game and that I think we're going to be losing up until the 65th to 70th minute. But I think every opportunity Ireland get, they're going to kick. They're going to go up to the 25th minute uh, and they're going to they're going to score three points and then they're going to roll back and then you're just going to keep doing that. Uh, which is disappointing, but expected. So, uh, I think we're going to maybe be two tries to New Zealand at the 60th, 65th minute, and then we're going to have to get a couple to roll, roll them. 
No, like this game tomorrow, this game next week is um, is everything we want in rugby. It's it's one versus two um, in the world rankings, and if the All Blacks want to cement their their number one spot, you got to make the win. So I, I feel like I feel like Ireland are there for the taking, and 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 I think it's going to be an uh, All Black victory by 15 points. Uh, next week on Speaking in Code, a rugby podcast, uh, we might potentially have Brian S. talking about why he thinks New Zealand rugby is a socialist or communist enterprise. Uh, we might be discussing New Zealand's uh, Irish victory or Irish loss, uh, along with some other sundry, not important uh, testaments. Uh, I'd like to thank Hayden, Brian S., and Chris uh, for today's podcast. Uh, see you all next week. <laughs>